Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with the executive editor of Newsbusters, your host, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the mothership of media criticism, where there's a mother load of media bias to mine. It's the Newsbusters podcast. One of the ongoing tropes of the liberal media is that they are the forces of truth and the conservatives are somehow an army of misinformation. The New York Times has taken up the issue of state-by-state regulations of social media. Republican-led states are trying to punish and discourage these companies for their censorship of conservatives. Democrat-led states are trying to force bigger crackdowns on conservatives for election lies. Uh, What was funny in here was there was sort of a line in this New York Times story. The biggest hurdle to new regulations, regardless of the party pushing them, is the First Amendment. Isn't that comforting? (laughs) The First Amendment, it's there for a reason. And, And lobbyists for the social media companies are using it. They said while they seek to moderate content, the government should not be in the business of dictating how that's done. So what you have there is they're basically saying, we don't want a patchwork of state-by-state social media regulations. They want some really predictable national regulatory regime. I think most businesses like that idea. It's just not really the way it works on a lot of things. It's certainly not working that way for the abortion business. But the usual order is emerging from this New York Times piece, and that is that they don't really like the First Amendment. Now, when it comes to the misinforming other side, uh, the reporters say, quote, the scope of the problem of disinformation and of the power of the tech companies has begun to chip away at the notion that free speech is politically untouchable. They don't want free speech to be politically untouchable. In the era we live in, it's like, yeah, we're going to touch that. It's politically touchable to censor the conservatives. And then they don't even really want to acknowledge that such a thing exists. We all know it does. And then there was another quote here. That these are the lines that really stuck out to me. The court's ruling signaled that it could revisit one core issue, whether social media platforms like newspapers retain a high degree of editorial freedom. The media, the news media, always want to presume the social media is like them. They call it editorial freedom to censor conservatives. There's some Orwellian lingo going. They're just like the news media. The news media's whole problem with the social media is that they allow too much speech by the conservatives. When you run the New York Times, you don't let that happen. In fact, when you publish Tom Cotton... You get in trouble and you lose your job because you published Tom Cotton. I mean, so obviously they're unhappy because, yes, to them, the social media is like the Wild West where conservatives get to say whatever they want. You know, social media has a tilt already toward what they call authoritative media sources. That's their fancy word for the liberal media. So the liberal media never worry about their Democrat pals pushing laws in blue states against false information and cracking down on the New York Times. They don't have to worry about publishing false information like mangling Nick Sandman or reporting on the Hunter Biden laptop. This came up 
on Sunday on the Reliably Liberal Reliable Sources show. Joining us in studio to review the Sunday shows is our Sunday specialist, Mr. Kevin Tober, on Twitter at KevinTober94. How are you doing, Kevin? Doing well. Thank you, Tim. You're obviously much younger than me if you're 94. Yes, I was born 94. <laughs> so Brian Stelter brought on the lovely Nina Jankowitz, the failed disinformation czar. And before we get to her claims, let's just review the Brian Stelter MO. You know, the thing that's upsetting about this show and why I call it reliably liberal is that he brings a liberal on and they don't get anything resembling what we might call the Tim Russert questioning. Um, they're, they're not really, they don't have to fear that they're going to be asked something that they're going to have to stumble to answer. And I'm not saying they need to say, you know, the, what you, you know, some sort of conservative talk radio host would say, you know, why would you start an Orwellian ministry of truth? Hmm? It, it, it's just the, this idea that, that here was the first question that stuck out to me. The sympathetic view to you is that the disinformation board was the victim of disinformation. Is that how you feel? Yeah, and it's always how you feel. It's never what you think. Yeah, and, and it, you know, it's one thing to start out soft because sometimes interviews do that. Well, we ask you sort of something vague to get it kicked off, and then once you get going, I get tougher. Stelter never gets tougher. This was his idea of getting tougher is basically the idea of getting upset like a Democrat that Biden didn't do enough to fight off the conservatives, right? He yep. was like, uh, what the heck was the Homeland Security Department doing? Why didn't they defend you? Yeah. And, and why did she defend herself? Wasn't that there was a second follow up question? To well, that. And, and, and obviously there was this puff piece in the New York Times um, but, you know, it's he actually this is his idea of a hardball is to come at her from the left and say, obviously, the Biden people didn't have enough integrity to defend her. Yeah. And I think the whole purpose of him, of him bringing her on was to help her rehabilitate her image. Yeah, it sort of seemed that way. Yeah, it really did. Um, and I just she just came on and she then she went on and spread more disinformation herself, um, which is kind of what the point that I kind of made in my blog. Yeah, I mean, it's Stelter told her the one maybe tough observation was just the words disinformation government's board sounded Orwellian. Okay, yeah. that was maybe his toughest moment in all of this. But this was, you know, basically sounded like a discussion among Democrats. Yeah. Um, you're right, though. I mean, he he was trying to be all supportive of her. Like he mentioned she was, she was having a baby, like she was at being attacked by conservatives. Like yes. she was a sensitive, you know, damsel with a parasol or something. Yeah, exactly. And, but to my point, and it was just funny because I tweeted it out, a clip of her spreading disinformation. And, you know, some of her tweets that she put out during the 2016 campaign or 2020 campaign, I should say. Um, and then I, so I tweeted that out. And then Jerry Dunleavy, our friend from the Washington Examiner, put out a tweet as well and dug up some screenshots of proving that, you know, what she said was not true. Oh, so let, hang on a minute. Let's run a clip of this. This is probably close to the clip you ran. Yeah. Um, and then you got, then she blocked you. Yes. She, yeah, she blocked me. Yep. <laughs> and it's funny because her name on, on um, 
Twitter is Wiz, Wizipedia. Yeah, or, for Jankowitz. Yeah, Jankowitz. Yeah. Wizipedia. So my mom called me last night, and she was like, why did Wikipedia block you? <laughs> she, like, she didn't, I guess she misread it. Read yeah, yeah, yeah. Too cute. Too cute a title there, Nina. Yeah. Uh, anyway, here is the clip. You, you, these critics, uh, there were many of them. They were incredibly loud. They say you're just a giant liberal, could never be appropriately hired for this job because you posted disinformation on Twitter yourself. Well, so there's a lot of things uh, that to unpack in that. First, let's start with the idea um, that anybody would be someone that anybody on the political spectrum would uh, want to be policing speech. Again, at the kernel of that criticism is the idea that this board would be policing speech, which it wasn't going to do. If that were the case, there would be no person nonpartisan enough, particularly in the counter disinformation sphere, who would uh, appeal to everyone in that in that role. Um, but I, you know, did not post disinformation. The folks that are honing in on tweets that I sent in 2016 right. uh, when I had fewer than a thousand Twitter followers um, that, you know, I was just sharing information about a presidential election as it was happening, as millions of other Americans were doing, using their right to freedom of speech. That wasn't disinformation, right? It was just sharing news. So Jerry was noting that she shared this whole Alpha Bank story that was false that the Hillary Clinton campaign was sharing. And then Nina talked to the AP on October 14, 2020, the day the New York Post published its first Hunter Biden laptop stories. And she told the AP, multiple red flags raised doubts about their authenticity. And she said to AP, we should view it as a Trump campaign product. And then the worst part of it is if you look at what Jerry posted there, she's she's Nina Totenberg or, I'm sorry. <laughs> Close enough. She was Nina Jankowitz from the nonpartisan Wilson Center. Yeah. Nonpartisan, right. Um, yeah, she's she's something else. Well, really. I mean, I, yeah, the, the funniest thing about it is you tr- this is the editorial product making, is you're trying to, to make a clip, and she talks so rapidly that you can't, like, get a break in between sentences. Yeah, that's the problem, especially we, clipping, yeah. We all joke about Bob Woodward because Bob Woodward speaks so slowly that you could transcribe him and not stop the recording. <laughs> yeah, just in between his next word, you just <laughs> put the whole paragraph in. That's, and yeah, that's I said to Carl Bernstein that this was an attack on democracy. That's actually, it doesn't sound like Woodward. It sounds like Forrest Gump. Anyway, yeah. well, close but enough, I'm but just saying that it, she was, yeah, she was rat-a-tat-tatting, and you, it's hard to find a space. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, it's just ironic that Stelter, he opened his show. So he he went through like a, maybe a five t- maybe a five minute or so monologue yeah, he always about disinformation before yep. he brought her on, yep. about how much disinformation there is online. And then she brings her on, allows her to spew her garbage, lies and everything, disinformation, and then doesn't correct her on anything. And, you know, Jerry Dunleavy is, you know, correcting her in real time on Twitter and... Yeah, he, he it, never holds anyone accountable from his side. Yeah, and it, exactly. which is half the problem. I mean, he, he claims to be a media critic, but he only criticizes the right. Yeah, I mean it, that, that's exactly right. And I think what he could have done, and it, it, it's not necessarily mean to Nina, unless you think Nina can't handle it, is pull a Tim Rossert and say, "Okay, let's." She she was complaining people didn't want to look deeper into the context. Oh, all right. Here's your tweet. Uh, spreading the Alpha Bank story. How did that turn out? And, mm. and uh, you know, were you just, 
you can see you're sharing news, but you, you can also see from what Jerry has here. She's like, oh, Trump's worse than we thought or whatever. She obviously had liberal opinion. It was Hillary Clinton that she was sharing. Right. Yeah. She's So she's, well, but see, she tries to say, well, I'm just retweeting a debate or I'm just retweeting the candidates. But no, the tweets had opinion in them. But the other point basically is you you don't get to get out of this and say, oh, I'm against misinformation. But when you actually tweet out what turns out to be misinformation, you say, I was just sharing Hillary's tweets. That's, yeah, it doesn't work that way. That's, yeah, that's that's way too cute. But, yeah, you know, also this whole notion of um, that, that she thinks she can run around and, and dismiss the Hunter Biden laptop. This is, again, where, where what Brian Stelter could have asked her, or if he had anybody on there that could be slightly contrarian, you know, wouldn't it have been funny to say, Joining us now are Nina Jankowitz and Jerry Dunleavy. Oh, that would be what must watch television. Well, I mean, just to, <laughs> to be able to say, oh, well, here's your tweet, you know, where you say the Hunter Biden laptop, or here's your report or interview with the AP, where you say this is a Trump campaign product. Well, now the New York Times and the Washington Post have verified, verified the authenticity of the laptop. What say you now? Yeah. You know, sometimes you could say, well... It turned out not to be disinformation. Well, here's the whole point. This came out in mid-October, and you could be cynical and say, we just had to call it misinformation till the voting was done. Yeah. No, but that, that would never happen on Stelter's show. All right, so let's turn to another CNN show. This actually, I think, ended up being Kevin's top blog of the day. Yeah, it's... And that is Jake Tapper. Um, and that is uh, Tapper in an interview with... Governor J.B. Pritzker, Democrat of Illinois. And uh, this was kind of a hardball, but I've got a... Tapper deserved a hardball, too. So Tapper, he wasn't championing conservative Twitter Republicans. He was championing people who live in the inner city of Chicago. What Mm -hmm. do you say to parents who are asking why the Highland Park shooting is getting so much more attention than the gun violence facing residents in Chicago, particularly northern neighborhoods in Chicago every single day? Now, Pritzker had a pretty lame answer where he started talking about, well, we have a budget. Yeah, funding for Chicago social programs. Okay. That's not an answer. That's just throwing money at the problem. No, it's not an answer to, I went to, he's basically saying, you went to Highland Park for a photo op. But you yeah. don't go to downtown Chicago for a photo op. Yeah. Now, where that's a hardball from Jake is the whole idea of you're not going to the inner city of Chicago because that doesn't make you look good. Exactly. What's Pritzker doing to get crime down in Chicago? What is the mayor of Chicago doing to bring crime down in Chicago? Yeah. And that's the whole point, and which which Tapper brought up at the beginning, which I which that was the point where I'm like, okay, this is great. This is good. This is our good Tapper. It's like yeah. you know Ben Shapiro used to have good Trump, bad Trump segment yeah. on his podcast. This is good Tapper. You uh, said the Fourth of July weekend death toll in Chicago, as you know, surpassed the Highland Park shooting. Yeah, well, ten to seven, but that's yeah. that's just a day. You know, I mean, it's it's we all know it's hundreds. Yeah, you know, and so. I think the thing that bothers me is there's something in that question, Kevin, that um, that indicts CNN. Does anybody remember CNN doing tons of coverage on murders in Chicago? Nope. Jake Tapper hasn't had a whole, doesn't do a segment on State of the Union saying this weekend how many people got shot in Chicago. Yep. You know, the answer is quite obvious. Why did J.B. Pritzker go to Highland Park? Because it was a huge story. 
Now, you can argue it's a huge story because it was unexpected. And that's where it gets to sound racist. <laughs> yeah. And also, Nobody expects it in and there. I, honestly, I think that's part of the problem. I think that they don't want to deal with that, talking about Chicago. And, you know, because we kind of saw how that went with when Obama was president. We kind of, when people mentioned he was from Chicago, the people kind of got like, oh, you bring up his race. Well, that's true. I, I, mean, I did. I, I never really bought that because, you know, it's a corrupt city. It has nothing to do with race. And Obama was. And the thing I always say is that these are these are cities that Chicago hasn't had a Republican mayor since, like I don't know the 1920s. I mean, yeah. it's it's so it, it is not just a Democrat failure; it's a it's an ongoing, long running Democrat failure, yep. which is one of the reasons why CNN is not going to sit there and harp on murders in Chicago. So, it's an interesting question for Tapper to ask. But see, this is where. It would have been really fun for Pritzker to, to respond to him in what we might call a Trumpian way and say, I don't know, Jake, how much have CNN covered murders in Chicago? <laughs> how much did you cover these 10 murders in Chicago on the 4th of July? Yeah. So, I mean, that's that was part of the issue there. Um, now, and go ahead. I mean, honestly, and also if you think about it, I mean, the media, none of them cover this. Um I guess maybe the local news in Chicago, possibly. Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. they do. Um, but again, I, they could say that, oh, well, you know, that, that kind of happens. These murders that outnumber the Highland Park incident have are kind of spread out over a course of a couple of days, whereas this is one tar horrible incident that... Yeah, no. That's it, what they'll claim, but that doesn't make it... People are dying regardless, and this is just constantly every single weekend. Well, and that's exactly the point, is that in the news business... You know, five individual murders with five different shooters doesn't add up to one shooting. And, and again, it's one thing to say, oh, well, there's a shooting in downtown Chicago at three in the morning. It's another one for them to shoot seven people during a Fourth of July parade. Yeah. And that's that part of it again. But this is where you can say, who's the racist or who's the person that's that's hurting the black and brown people? It's. It's what we might call news judgment, is yeah. their idea of, no, this is more shocking because of the date and the place. And yes, because murder in Chicago is so normal, <laughs> shouldn't be normal. <laughs> shouldn't be, no, should not. But I mean, this is, you know, what, yeah, so the other thing the Democrats do is they play this game of saying, well, per capita, you know, some smaller cities have more murders per capita you know, we're going to find a smaller town with a population of, you know, 20,000 and compare it to Chicago. This, these are the, the math games they play. Now, on to white hot hate for Chuck Todd. That was actually also a popular yes. item that you did. And that was that the... Um, I actually thought the Chuck Todd would, would, would be more popular than the Tapper one, but it turns out it doesn't yeah. always work that way. Well... We talk about this at Newsbusters sometimes, and that is sometimes our most popular items are the one where it's like Democrat gets owned, yeah. you know. And that wasn't quite. Well, they both are. Yeah. Well, but I think in this case it was. This has become uh, where we can say there is negative coverage of Biden, but the funniest part about it is the negativity is coming from fellow Democrats. I think they figure that somehow that's safer, or you know, this is where we get fair and balanced when. Democrats debate each other. Then, <laughs> then there's respectable opinion on all sides, I yep. guess. But let's run a little clip 
of what Chuck Todd put on uh, that just w- wasn't going to make Democrats happy. But some Democrats who did vote in 2020 are frustrated with the administration's failure to push through their agenda, pass the big ticket legislation, and Biden's own reluctance or inability to use the bully pulpit to change people's minds. Democrats don't fight hard enough for nothing. Like, like right now, we might as well be in a recession, and they're not even trying to fight to help or nothing. And Biden, to me, he's just talking circles. Biden was elected to restore competency and stability to Washington after Donald Trump. But his job approval trails other recent presidents, including Trump, at this point in the election cycle. After a lingering pandemic, the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan, failure to stem rising costs, failure to pass voting rights legislation, and a failure to substantially address climate change or immigration challenges. Now, I think the part that they really hated about this, Kevin, was the way he harped on competency and his failure and his failure and his failure. Now, again, some of this is his failure to do climate, you know, some of, yeah. a lot of his liberal stuff. Yeah, some of it was from the left, but, you know, a lot of it, you know, the economy and everything, that one woman that we just played, uh, Erica Ingram, her, uh, she was from uh, was she from Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. So she, you know, she's in the swing state. She's um African-American woman. Yeah. Um, so it seemed like, you know, it would be a Biden demographic, which, right. you know. Yeah, they also had a woman who was very upset about yeah that they that he hadn't done enough on abortion. Yes, yeah. So yeah, that was at the very beginning. That woman, as she was in D.C. at one of the protests for the uh, the pro-abortion protesters outside. So I guess the threat politically is that their um, their voters are going to be demoralized. Yeah, and you know that's kind of the opposite of what we've heard after Roe v. Wade was overturned that. You know, the Democrat base is going to be all fired up and go into the polls to elect Democrats to save abortion because you know, that's their holy, uh, you know, that's their holy sacrament. Yeah, I mean, abortion. It's, they it, love their abortions. It's yeah, it is. It is fascinating to me that, yes, they would expect, oh, this will be our turnout. But the, yes, always the danger of this is that voters will be discouraged and say, why did I bother? You know, like that CNN story where Deborah Messing, the actress, is like, why bother voting? That's the danger, Yeah, is that they're not going to, people are actually going to be discouraged enough or disgusted enough with Biden that they don't turn out. Yeah, and I, I that's what I was kind of betting on. I, I thought they would be discouraged because I would be pretty upset if, you know, it went the other way. I'd be pretty, I mean, I would still vote, but I can just see people, I can see our side if this went the other way. Like, all right, we, we let the Republicans for 50 years and, you know, you guys did nothing. Now. Yeah, I think, and I think that's, it's it's true on both sides. It's yeah. absolutely true. You could go back, Kevin, to when you were born, when they take the Republican Congress for the first time. And it didn't take long I don't for think it's people. a coincidence either. Well. <laughs> Kidding. Yeah, well, I, you know, even then, the expectations got high, you know that Newt passed the contract with America, oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Well, there was a Democratic president. But already, you know, you had that notion of the the Republicans aren't doing enough, the Republicans are compromising too much. And this happens a lot because the reality is politicians are in political situations and there's only so much they can do. So at this particular point, if I were a Democrat, I would say, how much can they do? Let's be reasonable. We've got a 50-50 Senate. Yeah. There's not you know, there's not a ton they can do, and that's the whole thing where they're they're all screaming that the Democrats can't codify Roe versus Wade. Well, the House passed that, but the Senate can't. So I mean, you, you know that. It, so I would have always said I think I was probably there in the '90s 
uh, when you were toddling around, and that is that you can't expect Gingrich to accomplish everything because he's got a Democrat. He's got a Democratic yeah. president. Yeah. So, so I mean, part of it is you you just say um, a lot of times, and I think people don't always understand this, and that is sometimes the best thing your party can do is what it stops. Yeah, it's not as exciting, but it's what it stops from doing. Exactly. And then at you to kind of go back to Tapper for a second. This reminds me, Tapper. Bro, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. Oh, it was um, it was a Democrat congresswoman, um, Ayanna Presley. Yes. It was. It was on Tapper's show during the week on CNN, and he actually brought it up to her. Said, you know, Obama during his first two years in office, he had a super majority in both houses. He had the sixty vote filibuster proof. He had a super majority in the House. And he promised when he was a candidate to codify Roe v. Wade and his first press conference in early 2009, he said that that isn't on his priority list right now Mm -hmm. after promising during his campaign to to codify Roe v. Wade. So, yeah, you know, you guys had your chance right there to do that. And you decided to pass socialized medicine and old Southern. Well, we had this question. I asked this question this morning, actually, and that was. When's the last time there was a filler buster proof Senate? And that's what they said. Now, understand this, though, and that is that at the beginning of 2009, they didn't have a filibuster proof majority because Al Franken's election was still out. Yeah. Because it was that tick tight. And then it wasn't long into the next year when Scott Brown was elected in Massachusetts yes. and they didn't have it again. So yeah, I remember that. It was, it was rather temporary. But yes, they obvious, uh, yes, Obama made choices, and that was Obamacare was number one, and so they didn't do abortion, and they didn't do, uh, they, you know, the House passed cap and trade on climate change, the Senate didn't take it up. Yeah. So there's always going to be things where you're like, you didn't do what you promised you were going to do, um, and that's fine, that's the way politics goes. I just think it's funny, uh, it is true that this Chuck Todd segment did sound awfully negative. It did sound like Biden's a failure and he's not very competent. So you can see where they're upset. But I just, I kind of get a kick. I was noting Chuck Todd was trending. And you know when Chuck Todd is trending, it's going to be a bunch of red hot leftists. Oh, yeah. There was one person who wanted wanted him to be replaced on uh, (laughs) Meet the Press by Jen Psaki. Jen Psaki. Jack Cocciarella. Yes. Jen Psaki should replace Chuck Todd and Meet the Press. And I tweeted that and I was like, see, their idea of a perfect host is someone who sounds exactly like Biden's press secretary. And that wasn't a gaffe, by the way, that I do call her Jen Psaki. I know know it's Psaki. Yes. Well, it's always fun for people who maybe don't know so that they would know when they read it. Yeah. That's why you would say it. Yes. Also, this was the other one that caught me was a guy named... Adam Parkomenko, who was a uh, was a stooge for Hillary Clinton, God. and he tweeted, "You you do have to wonder why NBC keeps Chuck Todd. I'm going to go ahead and rule out someone is sleeping with him." <laughs> Jeez. So I'm, so he's he's sexually objectifying Chuck Todd, or yes. saying that you Ugh. know he obviously didn't sleep his way to the top, or is not sleeping to keep his way at that place at the top. I mean, they, they're just that they're just that unhappy. Yeah, and Chuck Todd, 90% of the time, is completely subservient to them, to their agenda, and just goes with the Democrat Party line. And this one little time in his 60-minute show that he doesn't 
bow down to the Democrat agenda is when they start freaking out. Well, and I think... Can you... Well, sorry. It's, no, it's okay. This is one of those things where the news isn't good. The polls aren't good. Yeah. It's, there's only so much happy talk you can do. Yeah, and that and that's the thing that, you know, we, at Newsbusters, we kind of point out sometimes when they do tell the truth for a minute. Yeah. Whether accidentally or purposely. They just, they don't do it because they want to be honest. They do it because they have to try to keep some kind of credibility. Whereas if you just, if you just become a Democrat Party propagandist 24-7, like the, especially the evening news networks, you got to kind of, their big thing is they have to try to pretend they're objective. Well, I mean... They do a poll, and you would expect them to report what their polls find. Yeah, you know, and that's that part of that is yes. What he's trying to do here is just lay down what the facts are. Now, I think that you could argue that this thing about failure to do this, failure to do that, failure to do that, yeah, that does sound more like editorializing. Mm-hmm. It, it, then the question you ask yourself is, you know, it's true that he hasn't done these things. Maybe you don't want to use the word failure because it's just too inflammatory. Um, now, finally. Let's turn to Vice President Kamala Harris granting an interview to Robert Costa, which aired on CBS Face the Nation. And this, again, was this whole question of Costa coming at Kamala Harris from the left on abortion, just like Dana Bash did. She gives an interview, and Dana Bash's whole interview was, you're failing to be liberal enough. Yep. So uh, here again, he was like, you know, did the Democrats fail to not codify Roe versus Wade? I mean, they, they're pressing the absolute extreme. It, you know, baby killing. It's not. It's not outlawed enough, or you know, it's not. Or, or, or it's, it's too outlawed. Yeah. yeah, it's too outlawed. I mean, it's the whole notion of there's too many restrictions that somebody allowed a restriction somewhere or anywhere, like parental consent, or gee, you can't do it after birth. You know, that yeah, it, God forbid. You know, when you codify Roe versus Wade, that whole point is to say there's no restrictions anywhere. You can't pass a restriction. That's their dream state. Now, nobody from Fox News is going to come on with a Republican. Well, because, you know, I think Fox News is sort of a Manhattan um, uh, space. They're not going to you know, hardcore abortion. They never have. They're not going to get in a Republican's face and say, why have you failed to outlaw abortion in all 50 states? They're just, they're just never going to do that. But it seems like this is what CNN is doing. And this is what Costa did yesterday. Then he pressed her about how Democrats think that Trump's Supreme Court pick should be impeached for lying to Congress about abortion. I mean, this yep. is this is the way they, they come at them from the hard left. Yeah, and that's always, that's always the case. Um, for the most part, but about the abortion laws, a lot of these lefties are planning on moving to Europe. Well, most of these European states, they 15 weeks is that's they they have a ban more than that, right? Even Canada, we discovered that is that you know you would say Canada is sort of a, a an abortion on demand place, but then when you look into it, there's sort of that there's political talk at the national level that it's abortion on demand. But in reality, when you go out to the provinces, that's not the case. It really is a little more like that, where it's like 12, 12 weeks, 14 weeks, yeah. 15 weeks. Um, you know, the reality of all of this that they don't want to acknowledge is that, yeah, 70-some percent of Americans think after 15 weeks, eh, you know, that is kind of, I think, where the middle ground is. So when people said, when they would run around saying 70% support Roe versus Wade, that mean you know that's in some level because a lot of the Americans think that Roe versus Wade had a trimester system. Yeah, 
where it kind of did in the ruling, but that's not never the way it was adjudicated. Yeah, and a lot of people think that Roe v. Wade being overturned means abortion is legal nationwide and you can't get anywhere. Right. No, it can bring about to the states, and once people realize that, they'll get over it or realize that it's fine. Yeah, it's I think what's funny about all of this is that uh, is that they're, they would say, and one of my our friends, Ryan Moy, had tweeted, you know, they, they say, no one is pro-abortion. That's <laughs> pro-abortion. People love to say that, but now they're in this place where they're like, "Can you have abortion on an Indian reservation? Can you have abortion at a VA hospital?" I mean, they're trying to find everywhere and every way in which they can do this. Now, apparently, Craig Bannister is working on a piece at CNS News about how they're going to get a. We're going to put women on a boat. Oh yes, yeah, they're so, on old abortion island. You know, they, you know I, <laughs> I was laughing this morning. I heard someone on the radio. Uh, Say that uh, they just might as well just put it on on Epstein's island because they're already yeah. <laughs> using children there. Oh my goodness! Well, it's this is one of those issues where the 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 Democrats in the media come at them from the left and they hold them accountable, I suppose, from the left. And so even when you'd say, "Oh, well, they they didn't go easy on Kamala Harris," well, and of course she she gave the usual word salad, mm -hmm. and that ended up being kind of what you saw on Twitter. There yeah. wasn't really an objection to, to Costa's question. Yeah. It was like she was saying, "Well, it was settled," and he was like, "It ain't settled now." Yeah, and honestly, like I, not to try to pick on Kamala any more than we she already has been, but. Just as a reporter, I would have been sitting there after she gave that word salad. I'd be like, "Can you please repeat that in English?" Like, yeah, because I, I, I just generally want to know what her answer was, and I don't know what it means. What she's saying. Well, and that is sort. She is sort of a tough person to interview in that sense, is because it does come off as condescending to suggest that what she said wasn't coherent. Um, but you, yeah, you can ask, you can try to seek clarification. And, and can you rephrase that? I maybe would say <laughs> more polite way of saying. <laughs> so yes, and then he was. He also said that you know that that Black Americans are frustrated at the lack of quote unquote police reform. Oh God, you know, and that's yeah. where you go. Oh, you mean defunding the police? Yeah, that's that, that's their code. Yeah, I mean, it's not the only thing you could put under police reform, but yeah. you know, he's certainly not going to ask her about you know, Democrats being soft on crime. This is the difference, is that everything comes at the, how Biden and Harris are failing the, the, the leftists. That's, that's the only way you can be tough on them. And that's what you'll get when you come to look at us and what we're doing on Newsbusters. Come read us once, twice, twice 24, 24 times, times a day. day. Thanks. Thanks for listening.